0: Hey, what's up? You're listening to Less Invasive Podcast, a podcast covering minimally invasive surgery and assistive technologies for the operating room and radiology environment. Robotics, surgical navigation, augmented or virtual reality, telehealth, artificial intelligence, data platforms, and more. In this episode, I discuss with Eric Anderson, a veteran in the extremity space, free agent, founder of Extremity Surgical, host of the Ortho Heidi podcast, content creator, and more. My goal for this episode is for you to learn more about Eric's background, his story and journey in the medical device space, and why he chose to stay in extremity. What are the pathologies, procedures, and challenges when performing extremity surgery? What's the future in this space, and how assistive technologies such as pre-planning, patient-specific solution, navigation, or robotics could help? What it is like transitioning from big auto to free sales agent? What is he doing today with social media and online training platforms and why? Plus, I'll answer a question from Eric on my vision for the future of robotics and technology. Relax in your canoe, put the paddle in a safe place, turn downstream, let it drift away from the dock and go with the flow. Welcome to another episode of the Less Invasive podcast. I'm your host, Lucien Blondel, and I bring 20 years of experience in surgical robotics for neurosurgery, orthopedics, spine surgery, interventional radiology, and now interventional oncology. So today, I have the pleasure to have Eric Anderson on the show. Eric Anderson is the founder of Extremity Surgical, and so we'll be talking about extremity surgery, medical sales, and more. Hi, Eric. How are you?
1: Great, Lucien, how are you today? Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Yeah, it's a pleasure. So we've been uh, knowing each other through uh, LinkedIn. I've uh, seen uh, all the content that you are creating and sharing on this platform uh, around your products and uh, the, the, the fun videos with the, with the drone and all that <laughs> stuff that, that's going on uh, in, uh, in uh, Florida where you're based. And so first, maybe I want to uh, start with uh, know a little bit uh, about your background Uh, your journey in this space, and how you ended up uh, to the position you are today.
1: Sure. So I've been in the uh, orthopedic space for well over 20 years now. I started my career with Synthes way back in the day as a trauma representative and held different positions uh, throughout my career in sales management um, and in different positions of that, all based in orthopedics, quite a bit of experience in the trauma space, spit the nephew, um, Zimmer, Synthes, and then also, uh, spend some time in the, uh, arthroplasty space with, uh, shoulders with, um, tournier, which is now right, which is now striker. So yep. there, there you go with that. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about that during our podcast. All the different companies are now a different name. Uh, but, uh, so that's where I, and, and, uh, Founded Extremity Surgical uh, almost three years ago now, and uh, along with Extremity Surgical Ortho Idea, and kind of in conjunction, found both of the or founded both of those companies, in, in order to one sell extremity products to the marketplace here in the southeast, uh, and then two also Ortho Idea, which is uh, you talk about my drone and some of the things that I do. I, uh, with Ortho Idea is a, uh, a platform, is a podcast platform, video platform, as well as a print platform for um, marketing and, and just the arm that we use in order to um, share with the world about what we're doing in the extremity space. So in a nutshell, that's uh, Eric Anderson, how we got to where we are now.
0: Yeah, thanks. So you've you've been uh, in the orthopedic space for, as you say, twenty years, and you started in uh, in extremities. Uh, why did you do choose to stay in extremities, and you you didn't move to large joints or other uh, areas in uh, in orthopedics? You are very focused on the extremities. I feel.
1: So when I uh, left, and called quote unquote corporate America, I uh, did a lot of studying on where we wanted to go as an organization and uh still it holds true to this point in time extremities was the fastest growing segment by far and double digits and so and that seemed to, to be and still holds true where a lot of the innovation is is coming to the marketplace and so we decided that that would be the best place to start uh, we talked to several companies, new technologies that were coming to the marketplace, and we decided, okay, that's where we're going to be as an extremities, hence extremity surgical, and um, that has played out. It, it is, uh, it's a, it's a booming segment within orthopedics, and uh, it's very, it's been an interesting ride the last few years watching these new companies, new innovation, and uh, new technology come to the marketplace. <laughs>
0: All right, thanks. So that's uh, yeah, that's helpful to understand the, those dynamics in this uh, extremity segment. And uh, I'm not sure everybody is aware of that because there is a lot of buzz around uh, the knees, the hips, and uh, I mean there are other parts of the bodies that require um, replacement or other procedures. So maybe we'll jump into this uh, this topic. And what kind of uh, to start with? What kind of pathologies? Uh, uh the surgeon face uh when they are doing uh, extremity surgery i know that like in spine it's uh deformities uh, degenerative trauma tumors is it the same uh, in extremities and and is there a different ratio than in other specialties
1: that's a great question so <clears throat> to take the first uh part of that extremities there there's it's twofold one being the fracture side of it, the trauma side of it. And there's obviously, there's quite a bit of, of fracture work that occurs in whether it be hands, wrists, foot and ankle. And um, that is a majority of what we see. Also in that, there is the arthritic component where you're, you're seeing, especially in the foot and ankle world, um, you're seeing just because of, because of arthritic changes, uh, diabetic, which we is a, I don't know if I want to use the word epidemic since the last few years, but an epidemic with diabetic patients in, in, in the United States that we're, we're, we're experiencing. And so there's a lot of, the, in the foot and ankle space, extremity space, there is a, a, a lot of focus on implants that can address those issues. Uh, anything from plates and screws that are you know fusion-based, um, to total ankles, and then as we move on to uh, intermedullary nails for fusion, and then also as well as we start moving into custom implants that are coming to the forefront, which is a an exciting new uh, vertical within extremities that's occurring actually as, as we speak.
0: So how does it work if I'm a surgeon in southeast in florida in the u.s uh do i do like uh uh, am i specialized in foot uh, i mean upper extremities or lower extremities or do i do everything from foot ankle elbow wrist shoulder uh how does it work
1: great question so about 10 years ago you did everything um maybe more maybe 10 to 15 years ago, you did everything from top to bottom and those surgeons still exist and they, they do, you know, everything from a distal radius fracture, um, to an ankle fracture to a, 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 uh, a total ankle. What has happened in the U S is now just with fellowship training. We now have quite a bit of upper extremity only surgeons that are focused because of fellowship training, as well as foot and ankle uh, focused surgeons. And so there is now in most towns, and at least in the Southeast, you will have in larger metro areas, I'm going to say over 100,000 people, you will have upper extremity specific surgeons, as well as lower extremity foot and ankle surgeons. And this is becoming more and more, and obviously because of the pathology that's happening with our patient population, that they are going, obviously as they get older, they're going to be needing different, having different issues that they need to have addressed, but the, it is becoming segmented for sure.
0: All right. So we, we see uh, the same train, I think, in, in other specialties where the, the surgeon tends to be the specialist in their specialty. And uh, and I understand that the same in, uh, in the upper and, uh, and lower uh, extremities. Um, so, How uh, is the minimally invasive approach being used today in this kind of uh, procedures? Is it the standard of care or is it something that people are uh, trying to do uh, the the most they can? How how much of minimally invasive are these procedures?
1: So the minimally invasive uh, aspect of the procedures has really just started in the last few years. Now, there was in the fracture world, um, there was minimally invasive um, aspects to it where they would, you know, utilize some submuscular sliding the plate under and then making stab incisions in order to uh, fix the plate to the bone. So that's always been going on. But now in the MIS world, there is, um, as far as bunion corrections, and things of that nature it is becoming um the movement is on i would say um a company like novastep who is a, actually a french company as well um they've addressed it with picoplasty i know arthrex has done the same thing with their minimally invasive uh procedures and it's that's that's the wave of the future for sure and uh, i'm sure you see that in other specialties as well but that's what's coming but it's become it's come later than other specialties to the extremity space
0: is it, is it because the the incision is already uh, I would say small like when, when we look at the knee replacement uh, it, when you do open surgery it, it could be a very large incision and, and mini, mini 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 approach able to, to really reduce the incision uh, uh, in extremities is the incision already small enough to perform the the, the surgery without damaging too much of the tissue the muscles, and stuff like that, or is, is there maybe not a, a, such a strong need for a minimally invasive?
1: Twofold. I think that it, it so most surgeons from years ago received AO training, and AO training would tell you from the get-go that you open it wide open, <laughs> you uh, visualize the fracture, yeah. and you, uh, you, you go ahead and do your work and plate it. And, and for the most part, it worked fine on in, in most plus but as they changed the minimally invasive um different plates and screws that came out that's when a surgeon started to study so what's happened is um companies have addressed this with different type of procedural type systems and this is very new to extremities so it just it hadn't been out and, and this is specifically mostly talking about the in in the in fracture world or, or deformity correction. That's what they've, they've used it more as far as that goes. So I think it's been twofold. I think it's been their training originally, which was let's open it up and take a look and go from there to now companies addressing it. And surgeons also with technology saying, listen, we need to be able to do this instead of making this huge incision, let's make two stab incisions and get the same thing. And, and obviously, uh, fostered, better healing environment.
0: Yeah. So w- what I understand is that this change has to come from both the, the surgeons and the industry as the industry has to provide uh, new products that have been specifically designed for a minimally invasive approach. And And I hear that this, this is the case and this is where it starts to uh, to be uh, used more and more in uh, in extremity surgery. So we know that when we perform an open surgery, uh, it's... a uh, quite comfortable in the way that you see everything. And and, and when you transition to minimally invasive, then you lose uh, some kind of information on, on the anatomy on, on where uh, are your instruments. What kind of uh, intraoperative guidance technology do they use? Is it a fluoroscopy imaging or is there more than, than uh, this X-ray uh, to understand where is the anatomy and, and where are the instruments and implants?
1: At this point in time, it's under fluoroscopy at this point in time. Um, Will that change? I believe it will. I think you're going to start to see technologies that come down the pipe that are involving, you know, maybe different camera options. Um, But as of right now, it's just fluoroscopy. and And that's where we'll see where it goes. But I think that that's going to be the next step or the evolution of you know how they visualize what they're actually doing.
0: So that means that to, uh, today, with uh, a two D images, they have uh, enough information to to perform their, their, their procedure. I guess they they change the angle of the C arm to get uh, maybe a uh, anterior, posterior, and, and lateral views, or two different views of the, the the same anatomy. Do you think that there is a trend to? Uh, towards intraoperative 3D imaging, because we, we've seen that like in spine with all uh, manufacturers uh, providing the uh, Medtronic, the O-arm, up uh, the Arrow and uh, Stryker, uh, their, their own system. Um, how much do you see this trend also into uh, extremity surgery?
1: I think it's coming. I think that the proof the concept has been proved, proven within spine. So it's coming to extremities right now. It's just the 2d, the 2d view. And one thing differently, whether it be the hand or the foot, they can move the extremity. It's a little bit easier so they can get their lateral, they can mm. get their AP. It's a little bit easier to do it than obviously when spine, which you can't. Um, yep. But that, as technology comes down the road where they can get 3d and they can see things, um, by just having the, 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 whatever the machine would be. Um, I think that that's where it's going because that's where it becomes time intensive, cumbersome to kind of always be switching Mm -hmm. the extremity around to where you wanted to get the view that you want to get. So I think that it's obviously it's coming.
0: And and right now, those kind of procedures that are done in a hospital setting or ambulatory uh, setting, is is it a mix of the two, or what kind of what's the size of the hospital that that's uh, doing these kind of procedures?
1: Yeah, so it's it's the mix of the two. It's in the ASC in the hospital, um, typically with trauma cases that they're addressing. They're in the hospital, but more and more in our U.S. system, they are moving to the ASC as fast as they possibly can.
0: Okay, so you mentioned uh, at the beginning uh, that uh, you were working from uh, for a company that was acquired and that acquired, 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 until it it went to Striker. Um, so Striker right now they have uh, several technologies. They have intraoperative 3D imaging. They have navigation. They have uh, robotics for o- other business units. Um, do you do you think that there is a, a benefit for this kind of company to uh, Apply those technologies to uh, this uh, fast-growing segment. Uh, what, what what are what's your uh, perspective on on these big auto players uh, leveraging their technology platforms for this uh, this extremity segment?
1: Well, let me say it's coming. We know it's coming. I mean, that's why they are making these large investments and in, and in, and buying market share. And we could probably that could be a whole other podcast on what's going on within orthopedics and, and what's going on because these companies don't organically grow or naturally grow. They, I shouldn't say all. Some of them do not naturally grow or organically grow. They buy market share. Mm-hmm. And so in buying market share, they're also getting these different technologies that come with these companies. And so I totally believe in the future you're going to see in the minimally invasive world or, or imaging world, a, a move towards a um, likes going on in spine same same idea
0: all right and so just uh, one last question about the technology because I'm, I'm at, at the heart I'm a chief technology officer so I'm very sure. curious about that um, is there a lot of uh, pre-planning on software like templating or is it more uh, a conventional way to prepare the axis and the angles to be corrected on to the x-rays
1: so there is a lot of pre-planning that will go into a total ankle um okay. that's that's scans will be sent our mri will be scans will be sent and and just to to pre-plan you know implant sizes and 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 things of that nature to have a plan in place with other uh other indications no not at this point in time but that's going to change you can see where this is going to this is um being talked about and, and with different companies and why they want to explore this technology so i believe as we start moving down this path of more of a um more technology to assist surgeons in getting better outcomes it's coming
0: yeah because we could uh, we could um Think that uh, with technology you could provide a more patient-specific treatment, because I guess right now they are using different sizes of uh, of uh, screws, uh, plates, stuff like that. Is there an an opportunity to have a patient-tailored uh, implants uh, with the with this kind of pre-planning or uh, artificial intelligence or, or whatever the technology could bring to really adjust? the treatment to uh, each specific patient.
1: Absolutely. I I think that's where the marketplace is going to be going because of the insane investment in implants that's made by orthopedic companies, you know, the millions and millions of dollars of implants to address a surgical service in a hospital doesn't make sense long-term. So, I don't, you know, I've, I've posed this, I've posed this question on LinkedIn several times and I get all kinds of different feedback about it, but will there be a day where a patient arrives in the ER? um, They go through and have x-rays done, scans done, and there's a machine downstairs or sitting there off site where they send the information and the implant is 3d printed and, you know, the screws and everything else. And it, it is sterile packed. And, that afternoon you're able to do the surgery on the patient. I know I'm talking probably, you know, 20 years down the road, but I think that's where companies are going to want to go to because it's just the unbelievable expense of implants and, and having them sitting there at this inventory that doesn't turn and is costs um, are going to be addressed and want to be reduced. That's the easiest way is to, is, is just obviously it's, People expense and product expense, and you know, I think they're going to try and focus on the product first.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. When we when we uh, developed the uh, the Bridget robot for total knee replacement, that was back in uh, two thousand and five. Uh, one of the one of one of the interests from uh, Zimmer at the time was that uh, you know it 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 could enable to reduce the cost of uh, inventory because. Uh, when you have uh, only one instrument that is uh, positioned by the robotic arm instead of all the trays with all the complex mechanical steps and instruments just to place uh, the final four-in-one uh, cut guide, then it's, uh, it's it, as you say, it's just uh, incredible to see how much is invested uh, to put the instrument trays uh, at the disposition of, uh, of, uh, of the surgeon. So, um I I agree with you that uh, there should be a trend towards minimizing this and having something uh, more and more uh, patient-specific. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I think it's. I think we'll see it in our lifetime.
0: Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) we'll we'll work on that. And uh, all right, so uh, now I want maybe to talk uh, about the choice that you made to uh, to be a, a free sales agent. So when exactly do you remember when and why? uh you decided to transition from being an employee at a, uh, at Big Auto uh and and to towards being your own boss and and develop your own independent uh distributor model
1: yeah so it's uh i was it happened quite a few years ago as i was sitting in a meeting with uh, i always enjoyed i i would uh I guess it, when I was at Smith and nephew, I'd enjoy sitting and talking to the R and D guys and the marketing guys and what was coming and what they were going to be doing and and just I I always enjoyed the the, the new technology that was coming down the road and I remember sitting in the meeting and people talking about how we we're going to certain product that was going to come to market and um, and the group around said yeah but you know what, we've been told we're not going to do that because we need to take this product because of just better margins and we need to pump that, you know, we need to do that. And I just thought to myself, I said, man, they're just actively making a decision right now because of, which obviously every company has to do this for profits, but it was driven by ultimately share price. And I just thought to myself, hmm, that's interesting why that would, you know, are we in this for share price? Or are we in this to help patients? And so that kind of start, sat with me and I just, all of a sudden one day, I was that day I said, you know, if there's ever a chance for me to do this where I could carry several different technologies and create a, a group or create a uh, organization that we had all kinds of different cutting edge technologies that we could provide to our surgeons they could make one phone call to extremity surgical and they could, or they could make one phone call to whoever they were going to make the phone call to wouldn't the surgeons find that to be a breath of fresh air instead of, well, I don't know if they would even find it to be a breath of fresh air. At that point, they would just, the synthies guy would be standing there or the striker guy would be standing there and they used all their products because that's just what they did. And so I just decided that I think that there's a better way to do this. You could provide, Better service, better technology, and better outcomes for patients and obviously our surgeon customers. And so that's kind of how it all started to develop in my mind. And uh, I guess the rest is history.
0: All right. So so today at uh, Extremity Surgical, how many different companies uh, you uh, you represent? How many different products that uh, you offer to your customer that is a, a surgeon and and to have a largest. Uh, possibilities for his procedures?
1: So it fluctuates depending on <clears throat> one of the different things. One of the things that I found out as you know, being an independent uh, medical sales device broker is that companies do get bought quite often. So that will change. But uh, at any given time, uh, through myself and partnerships that I have with others, it's it could be anywhere from 8 to 12 product lines. Um, You know those are some of those products are are obviously certain technologies that don't get used as often as others but the one overarching thought process is one phone call to our group allows the surgeon to address anything that they want to address with their patients and so that's our main focus our main goal um and it's worked very well
0: all right. So I understand all the all the benefits uh, that you give for the for your surgeons for your customers. What uh, what what are the challenges uh, for that that you've uh, faced uh, building this uh, in, independence uh, in extremity surgery?
1: Great question. Uh, the I think what I mentioned just for you know just a little while ago is is that you know when you're dealing with smaller companies. Um, their main thought processes is is they may want to be acquired. And so you then are dealing with, you know, companies that are saying to themselves, okay, we're going to be acquired here in six to eight months. So we're going to deal with this in a certain way. So that's challenging and you, you lose, you lose lines that way. Um, and you know, companies make decisions. They say, Hey, we're going to, um, We're going to, we want more focus, more dedicated focus in this market. And, um, if you don't have a representative in that market that is, excuse me, if you don't have one at all, they're going to make a change. So that's not as prevalent as more of them being acquired, but again, you're dealing with a smaller entity. And so that's why, you know, we always want to make sure that we're doing the best we can for both our surgeon customers and those companies we represent.
0: Okay, thanks. So now moving on to uh, maybe a, a different aspect of medical sales. Uh, you know, we've we've all experienced the COVID nineteen pandemic situation that had, a, a, I guess, a huge impact on how uh, medical sales people uh, did their job in the last uh, two years. What is the how you see this uh, this medical sales job evolving uh, right now and in the future?
1: I think during COVID, what really happened that was was eye opening is is that you know we had to find out different ways and avenues to connect with surgeon customers. Um, so we became very active on LinkedIn, um, utilized a lot of video um, connections. That's how we you know typically were able to connect with our surgeon customers, and so it just took on another avenue of of communicating with surgeons and and others um, and you know as of now we're knocking on wood we're almost back to normal in the in the US I think we will be here pretty soon and so we've still kept those different things that we were doing we st- that we adopted we're still doing those I think surgeons enjoy them S- some of them do the fact that they can understand what we do how we do it the products that we have and not involve every single time, taking time out of their schedule in their office. So that's kind of what our change has been as we've moved through the pandemic.
0: And and how, so this is to uh, how to connect to surgeons, to exchange information, and how about the the support during the procedure, because you you could not enter the operating room, how were you able to provide support for, I I, I don't know, the most complex cases that uh, usually require a sales rep to be in the room to help with the the process and the instruments and and all the steps that have to be done uh, in, in the right way?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, so where we are in Florida, um, we were never banned from the OR. We were always allowed to be in the OR. I do know in some other, uh, locations in the U S that happened. Um, so I know that there's this movement towards, um, case support, uh, remotely, um, which is going to be an interesting thing. Moving forward, because I think there's a place for that for sure. The issues and problems with remote case support, and I know this is going to cause a fury when I say this, is the minute something breaks or the minute that something goes wrong in those scenarios, that's going to be the end of remote case support. (laughs) And I know there are companies that are very vested in it and they're investing millions of dollars in order to. Bring this uh, capability to uh, the operating room, but I I've seen it time and time again. And once there's some kind of glitch or human error, that on on the other end, or something goes down, or something to that effect, they immediately are going to ask, well, "Where's our sales representative? We we need we need we, they, they need to be here for this, and that will be the end of it." So if they can perfect that. I think there's obviously a place for it. I know there's lots of companies out there trying to perfect it. So we'll see. I guess I'll just, it'll be a wait and see. How about that?
0: Okay. Okay. Let's wait and see. Um, uh, my, myself, I, I do believe there is a, uh, there, there are some use cases for uh, remote case support. And also it's an excellent opportunity for the company to, uh, you know to learn and to to teach uh, their employees uh, being either engineering or servicing because otherwise it's only a, a one people to one people interaction and 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 with this kind of tools you can leverage one to many uh, interactions so but i understand your i hear your point your point that when when something goes wrong then you'll have to figure out how the technology can answer those those, those uh, issues uh, while you don't have anybody that is uh, on uh, on site. Right. Okay. Yeah, thanks. Exactly. So, yeah. So it it, it also I mean uh, about the training, uh, it also shifts the way that the surgeons are trained or medical sales reps are trained. And uh, I know you have something uh, going on with uh, Matthew Scott uh, uh, around digital training, uh, building a, a platform. That would be called uh, medical sales RX. Could you talk a little bit more about this project? Why you do this, and 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 maybe when you will uh, release it?
1: Sure. Yeah. So it's exciting times. Uh, myself and uh, Matthew Ray Scott. If you've uh, if you're on LinkedIn, make sure to uh, connect with him. He is a a branding expert within the. Um, medical device space and, and obviously specialty surgeon space. And so he and I have known each other for several years. We worked together in a Smith and Nephew quite a few years ago. We don't want to date ourselves with when what year that was. But it was, uh, let's just say it was uh, uh, pre-iPhone, uh, whatever. But anyway, so we were together and um, we've been working on some different projects. And I, I just one day, I just I, I said to him, I said, you know, the pandemic has changed a lot of the ways that people consume information the way they learn um the days of let's get everybody to go to uh a city and sit in a classroom and learn which there's a there's a place for that and we should still do that i'm not saying that at all nope. but then we i we just said hey one day we we brainstormed and said okay we're going to come up with medical sales rx and medicalsalesrx.com is going to be the premier online platform for medical device salespeople. They can go out there. And again, I don't want to say this to sound like a commercial because I, I don't want it to be that. But it's, it's, it's exciting because it's going to be a place for people who want to get into medical device sales are already in medical device sales. They want to learn about different segments within it, whether it be spine, cardiology. We're going to have course content creators that are going to come into our, our platform, provide courses. And these are people who have done it before. These are VP of sales. These are people who are CEOs at companies and they've excelled in this area and they have mentored and coached thousands and thousands of representatives to be successful. So when it's all said and done, when you look at you know the when the overall marketplace, there wasn't anybody who was providing that kind of opportunity for people to come in and, and do that online. So they can do it on their time when they want. Do it anywhere on their time and any place. So that's kind mm-hmm. of the 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 thought process behind Medical Sales RX.
0: All right. So when when can we expect to see this uh, this platform up and running?
1: Um I I would envision and here holding me this too <laughs> as we work diligently on this we are hoping in March that that's going to come to fruition um, we'll see it's okay. uh, March is 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 the goal how about that so hopefully we'll be having a a, a, a launch announcement. For that
0: cool cool yep. so let's let's wait and see as uh, as for the emergence of new assistive technology in the in, the, in the extremity surgery uh, space yes. so thank you uh, thank you eric so uh, as uh, i i've done for the the past uh, two episodes i will give you the opportunity to ask me a question that i will answer right away
1: great well uh my question is this as the cto or Chief Technology Officer of a uh, innovative company. Where do you see the marketplace going as it relates to robotics and technology? Do you see this being used in the majority of cases moving forward? Or where do you see where do you see the marketplace?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think, well, I think we are just at the beginning of the introduction of robotics in various fields, like in MySpace, which is interventional oncology and percutaneous ablation. There is almost no uh, robotics cases. So there are still some segments uh, in surgery that that uh, have to uh, experience the benefit of robotics. And I would say beyond any kind of computer-assisted uh, Technology. It can be navigation. It can be uh, augmented reality. Uh, it can be pre-planning and post-confirmation software. And so the, the second point is, I think, for quite some time, robotics was uh, intuitive surgical, the Da Vinci platform. Mm-hmm. And now we see that uh, robotics is just uh, is is becoming a component of an ecosystem. Uh, and, and this is a, a core component because it provides the guidance, uh, the manipulation, and even the telemanipulation. But to really provide benefits, uh, it has to be combined with additional components. That that will be uh, image processing, that will be some kind of visualization, some kind of um, data processing to give uh, insights on what happened before, during, and after the procedures. So. Maybe there are some cases where uh, robotics is not uh, exactly what is the the best technology to improve the patient outcomes. And and, and maybe that's the rest of the ecosystem that will be uh, the most impactful uh, for this kind of procedures. So I see the marketplace going towards a more uh, an ecosystem of technologies where robotics might be at the center or not. And that this ecosystem should be leveraged to uh, all the other fields of surgery where uh, there is there is currently no uh, robotics. So like in extremity so- surgery, maybe it's not a big robot that is uh, uh, expected from surgeons to help them better do their procedures. And maybe it's more some kind of uh, wearables uh, that leverage the information from pre-planning and uh, and using some sensors to just find out where the instruments are relative to a three D image that that could be acquired during the procedure, so it's not robotics per se, and maybe there is a smaller robotic component, but uh, I I think we will uh, see uh, uh, more nuances into what we call a surgical robotics uh, in the future, and that's already what we see uh, today in uh, in the. The 150 uh, surgical robots that are on the market, and 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 there is a, a great variety of how robotic is implemented uh, for this kind of product.
1: Interesting. Does that, well, that's, does that answer the, your question? It does. Yes. 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 It's an exciting space. I mean, when everybody says robotics, they think, "Wow, this is uh, you know, it's it's a uh, it's a very interesting." I guess, and we'll see how it uh, as we move forward. It seems that the robotics adoption is happening in our marketplace all over the place.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it, there has been a strong adoption. In I mean, relative to the market, it's not that big, but in uh, in uh, laparoscopic surgery, in orthopedics, neurosurgery, spine, and uh, and and there are many other places where uh, robotics can. Uh, can provide benefit for the surgeon and and for the patient. So we'll see, and and it's going to be the the job of uh, small startups and 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 big companies to invent what uh, will be the the right technology for the right procedure for a patient specific uh, treatment. Hopefully, well,
1: that's great. Well, I look forward to uh, what 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 occurs in the future. It should be exciting.
0: Yeah. So. Thank you very much, uh, Eric. We are at the end of the, this episode of the Less Invasive podcast. I'm uh, really happy that uh, we took some time to uh, explain and learn about uh, extremity surgery, which is, uh, I must confess, an area of surgery that I didn't know much. So now I'm a little bit more knowledgeable in that field and, and I have some ideas where to search for. And I, 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 I see that there are opportunities for companies, new technologies, uh, to enter this market and and, and to provide uh, products or services uh, that would benefit the the customer the surgeons and the patient and uh, i'm eager to learn when the medical sales eric's uh, online platform uh, will be will be launched thank you very much eric for this uh for being there
1: thank you lucy and appreciate you having me on today
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Less Invasive Podcast. If you enjoyed, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Talk to your friends, post on social media, or whatever you want, that can help this new podcast get off the ground and the content reach more people. If you wish to learn more about Eric Anderson, you can connect with him on LinkedIn or listen to the Ortho ID Podcast. If you think of a guest you would like me to have on this show, feel free to send me a message on LinkedIn. Have a great day.